So joining our series on this episode is Kevin Maloney, Chairman and Founder of Private Family Office Tuller Group. Kevin, great to have the opportunity to, to share your story and share your insights. I want to begin, if we could, with your background. As I understand it, you were born in Sydney's western suburbs in the late 1940s to parents Joseph and Florence. Perhaps to begin, walk us through a little bit about your background and, and your family, if you could. My father, he was always involved in sport. He had polio when he went to school, so he couldn't play sport, but he was always an administrator at a young age. He went to DLSL College, Armadale, so he was quite a good student. So he went in to do law, the war broke out, so my father went in to apply to join the army and they said, no, we can't take you because you have polio and you're handicapped. He said, well, I'm not handicapped. Why don't you give me a desk job? And they said, oh, righto. They looked at his, you know, degrees and all that. And they said, oh, yeah, righto. Yeah, we can use desk people. And they settled at a place called Silverwater in uh, Mount Near Auburn. I was born in Auburn Hospital, Lidcombe Hospital. And so that's where I spent about the first five years of our life, right? So my father, 10 or 12 years in the army, he decided, well, I'm getting out of here. So we moved to the suburb, which is right in the heart of South Sydney. And um, so that's where I went to school, a little Catholic school up the road. Then I went, to, went off to St Mary's Cathedral for my next level of three years. And then I was an uncontrollable child. And my mother said, you've got to go to boarding school. And I went all the way to Lismore because that's where my father came from, and there's a college there called Woodlawn College. It was, the, I think, the cheapest boarding school in New South Wales, 50 pounds a term. Did three years there as a student. My father said, what do you want to do? And I said, oh, I want to matriculate, and you have to do foreign languages to what to matriculate for a higher degree, French or Latin. So I took up French and Latin after the first term. The, um, the teacher came to me and says, what do you reckon you got in marks? I said, I don't know. They said, well, in Latin you got 10 and in French you got 5 out of 100. <laughs> I said, no, you're kidding. And they said, no, we suggest you go back to the B clerks for two seats. So comes the end of uh, the third year, I wanted to stay there and do my leaving certificate in those days. And my father said, no, 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 it's a waste of money, you know. Um, you get out and you better get yourself a job. My father was writing off for jobs and all that, and his brother was very high up in the ANZ Bank and um, and, uh, and a very senior role, and Leo was his name, and he rang Uncle Leo and he said, look, I'm trying to get Kevin a job, can you get him a job in the bank? And he said, yeah, right, I'll let him come in and I'll make sure he goes to the um, uh, month's training. So I went off to the training college and, um, and uh, my father rang up and said, how did Kevin go? He said, well, not the best, but just all right, very borderline. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, why is that? I oh, said, there's a lot of reasons, just don't worry about that, you know. And um, he said, um, but they're going to give him a go. And I said, and so he come and said to me, righto, you're going to school, you know, not school, you're going to work, you got a job. Um, you got a report to the ANZ Bank on the corner of Pitt and Hunter Street, which is a very large branch, a very, very large branch, and um, about 200 staff in those days. In any case, so I go there, and of course, where do I start? In what you call the correspondence room, which the correspondence room is the uh, mail room. 
So before me, there was about two, two other, three other boys, and you come out of there, come out of there in in your time, you're there, and you normally go on to be a teller. So the guys, oh, we, we, they were somewhat um, blue bloods, and they always wanted to go. They never wanted to stay back, take delivery of late mail. So I said, well, I got nothing, nothing on. I'll, I'll, um, I'll um, stay back, and I finish up staying back most of the time and doing the last runs. And then after about doing that for about bloody six weeks, the boss of the international department calls me and he says, Kevin, how come you're the bloke who stays back all the time and does it? And I said, oh, well, they guys want to go home. I don't mind helping out, it's, you know. And uh, he said, right, oh, he said, I want you to start in my department. And I said, well, I've got to, I'm on a timeline. I've got to come out when it's ready. He said, no, 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 come with me. We'll go over and see the head accountant now who's responsible for all the personnel. So I went over and he said there was Ron, McKin Ron McKinnon was the guy and um, the guy head of cameras was Mr Nicholson. He said, um, um, I want Kevin to come and start in um, the international apartment. And Mr Nicholson said, um, no, no, he's got to come out by rotation. He said, well, look, I'm seeing you here and I want him as a staff member because he's the most dedicated person running around this place. And he said, if you want to ask someone about it, go and ask your secretary, Heather Reak. What she thinks of Kevin. So he called her in and she said, What do you think of Kevin? What's his special character? She said, He's the only bastard that works back in this place and comes around and picks up all the late marbles you give me. You know, <laughs> and and, and um, so he should be blooming moved on. <laughs> and he said, Right, take him away, start there tomorrow. <laughs> so I got a break. Lucky. Another lucky break, see? So from the, the mail room at, at 15 to uh, the youngest ever person to be put into a managerial yeah, role. Yeah, well, just quickly, quick summary. I did five years there. Then they gave me my own international department run down, which was rather a senior position, right, in a, one of the big branches down in the um, RAG district. We're all the importers down around Haymarket and, and all that. And, um, and at 23 going on 24 they said right are you going to another big branch and we want you you're in charge of the whole um what they call security advanced lending department um and i said well shit you know, how am i going to do that there's a lot of blokes there older than me now you'll do it just don't worry about it just go and do it so i went and did that yeah let's talk about the next chapter of your career you left anz and then became a founding executive director of elders resource finance in 1986. Walk us through that opportunity and, and the elders team uh, as it grew and started to provide more capital to, to companies. It was in the expansion of what you call the merchant banks in Australia um, and everyone had one type of thing, um, or international banks here and all that. So I got poached to join, not elders, a firm called Australian Mercantile Land and Finance, which is a big agricultural group. English agriculture group. So they had a big money market book to look after and so they had a corporate division. So they, I got poached to go and run the corporate division there. And so I, I left the ANZ Bank. I had trouble living with myself for about the first six months and then along came elders that, that took them over. They come along and took them over. So here I am, subject, and, and, and elders finance and they were the biggest investment bank in Australia at the time, Merchant Bank, because they had a huge network of the agriculture business. So they had big money market, international trade, trading and all that. So John Elliott was in charge at the time and he was making his way up. And uh, he rang me up and he said, oh, Kevin, 
I want you to organize a cocktail party because you know every bugger up there and I'll bring up all the senior executives to meet him. I said, righto. So I organized it and got them all up here and it went very well. He rang me up about six months later and he said, Kevin, he said, we, I want you to, we, we've got to set up a new entity. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, we've done all these acquisitions and we've got a lot of resource assets. And he said, so we want to set up a resource bank because there's not a resource bank in Australia to, to a large degree. And so we want to set up a pu different public listed company and we'll put all those assets into it. And I said, oh, right. He said, pop down to Melbourne and I ran through all you. I went down and, and um, he, Jeff Lord was appointed to put that together. It was one of his executives. And he said, um, right up, we want you to come on board and we want you to do all the mergers, acquisitions, and we want you to build a, a book. So I went up there and we put together Elders Resources, to tell you the truth. Every afternoon we'll spend two or three hours in the pub strategizing how we're going to take this business forward. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how it started. Just reflecting on your career, both at ANZ and then later at, at Elders Resource, Finance, what were the key deals or, or achievements that, that you see? Oh, well, in the bank, it was really, you know, the big thing was that imports and exports, they're always urgent. So with imports, in those days, you'd have textile come out of Manchester in, in England, and you'd have what you call confirming where they got credit and you had to release documents. With exports, the Japanese trading houses who had to get the know, they'd come in at bloody half past four and, and you got to have to do tallies to say in those days and, and release the money and you had to tick everything off against the bills of lading or the airway bills and then you had to post all the documents. So that's predominantly service. So you really learn about, right? You really learn, learn it, service was everything to to a large degree, to keep them to keep them happy. When I set up Elders Resources, that, it was all about travelling around the world. I had to set up a worldwide operation, so we had to set up 17 trading offices around the world. I set up and um, um, expanded to the investment side of that business and the resource lending and um, equity and resource companies and all that. I expanded that right into America and Canada, you know. And so I, I was on a plane virtually at least every eight weeks doing something. And you, you just had to, you, you know, you just had to learn. You just had to learn. And it was learning all the way. It was exciting, very exciting. And, you know, Elders was a good play for you. Like, you know, Carlton United. I, I did the Carlton United takeover for them, put that together, work with them. You, you know, you just wouldn't be dead for quids. Because <laughs> it was a good life and they included your family in it, you know. Um, you'd be running out to bloody um, Chinchillo in Queensland <laughs> to opening a new mine or Kidston with deals I'd done, you know. And um, But they were always supportive. That then brings us to the crux of your career being Mac Services Group, which you established in 1996. Tell us about how the opportunity to, to get into mining accommodation came about. Well, it's very simple. In the resource industry, right, with project financing, you're building a new mine. The first thing you need is accommodation, but it's the last thing they commit on. Because they've got to get all their approvals 
and everything in place before you do it. So if I approve the loan, I always have to wait for a drawdown till they sorted out their blooming accommodation. During while I was elders, I was allowed to have a few businesses of my own. I then um, bought a ready-mix concrete plant in, um, in Townsville. A guy up there, he had a backyard um, operation out of um, Charters Towers, which was up the road from Townsville. And somehow or other he got wind of me and he come down to Sydney and he said, oh Kevin, he said, I've got this big opportunity to expand um, into transportable buildings in the accommodation business. And I said, oh, right, what do you got? He said, oh, I've won a contract to, um, to, um, to build a, um, um, a big um, mining village out at Osborne, and, um, which was a placer new development outside of uh, Mount Isa. And so I had a look and he said, I've already got all the buildings lined up. I bought these second, second-hand buildings, which are not that old because I put them in there and I got my foot in it. So I looked and I said, oh, you're right, eh? So I put $500,000 in. And, and we done the deal. So I then started doing all the investigations in the coal industry and I mapped them as to where they, where they were coming. And so I went to BHP. I got an opportunity to go to BHP. I went to BHP and their, their um, accommodation guy. And he said, oh, I want to hire some buildings. And those buildings were coming off. I'd hire fleet out there to, to do the deal and the hire fleet. And I said, right, oh, I can do it. So I got it already. But unfortunately, that project out at Osborne got extended, so I didn't have the building. So I went to him and I said, look, I can't perform. I can't perform because this contract's been extended. I will, um, I've organised these buildings off a hire company and there is a difference, I will have to pay the difference. He said, no, don't do that. He said, just send them buildings here, you know, just send them buildings here, BHP, we don't need to, you know, we don't need to, your money, <laughs> I've got an unlimited budget here, we'll just do it. And I said, but because you're getting it done. Now he said, while we're here, we're having a lot of trouble with our contractors and I want to put a proposal to BHP that we take them off site. I said, he's sitting interested in looking at it. And I said, yeah. He said, right, I'll work with you on it. So I worked with him on it. We got it through. I got a block of land on the golf course. They give me a 40 room contract to 40,000 room nights for the contractors. So I went and did that, put it all together for them. And they give us all their bloody contractors who they'd bring in. They'd bring a hundred people in at a time for a wash plant or a drag line shutdown and all that, you know. So, um, and that was an old stage type, not good top of village, which they weren't, you know, five man bed houses, you had to walk down to go to showers, toilets, you know. So they put all the contractors on the wash plant into there when I built it and their problems went away. The problems went away because I got the native contractors. I went down and drank with them every night, bought them a can of beer or something every now and again, and they, you know, I sorted out all their complaints and listened to them. You know, they wanted steak on order and all this type of thing. You know, so I sorted all that out and we got on famously. So I was getting on with the contractors. So my reputation got there, and the next minute BHP wanted me to do it for Dysart, <laughs> Nebo, Middle Mouth. And so we would map 
and I'd go and get approval for where the concentration for the new mines were coming up, put 50 rooms in for exploration, put an infrastructure in for about 200 rooms, and that's how I was ahead of the game. And that's how I was able to explain that business. And then when the big coal explosion came, they wanted rooms in a hurry. So I already had the land available. They wanted 300 rooms, 18 months contract. That camp's still there today, it's not a camp. We upgraded the villages to resort style through my son Andrew. He come on board. He come on board, he went down a building finance degree. And, um, and uh, he come on board, he's a very young age, he took over and next minute we developed the business and we developed it into a 360 model, which was one of your questions. So we did everything from getting approvals, the land, all the, all the approvals through councils. Then we'd build them, we'd put temporary camps in, then turn them into permanent camps and we were able to get them running. We, we took that business to close to 6,000 rooms. We won a contract to build 7,000 rooms for the extension of the, um, the uh, big project out of um, Adelaide, um, Roxbury Downs. But they aborted that um, because it was a $30 billion project and copper went down. So they, they um, didn't go ahead with it. We bought a big factory down in bloody Adelaide and we started manufacturing out of there. We moved into Western Australia, Cambola, we got into up at um, um, Carafa. We done big villages. So we're on our way. We we're, on, we're on our way to, um, <laughs> you know, 10,000 rooms. And mm -hmm. in any case, but BHP looked after us for all our trouble. They were pretty good. I got an offer for 40 million for the business. I rang up Cindy Taylor, she's the um, chief executive of, of um, Oil States, and tell her I want to come and see her. And we'll go down and see her. So I went down and seen her and, um, in Houston, and she said, oh, geez, we, oh, we, we've got 10,000 rooms up at Fort McMurray. You know, and I said, yeah, I know. It's, you know, I want to go up and have a look at it. And she said, oh, right, huh? <laughs> I went and did that. And for the next two years, I. Everything we changed on our website, she changed on her profile. Because <laughs> I built the brand. I built the brand by taking to it. From terrible, broken down accommodations where people rocked up with their own TV, their own fridge, rattlers in the wall, bedboards under the mattresses and all that. We built it up and just improved all those things, new villages. And the big thing was we convinced BHP that we were in a better position to them to manage their people than them. Right? And that's where that saying, people is our passion comes from. Because everyone that lives in those villages, they spend more time with us than what they do at home. And so we become their mother, virtually. We put shops in, we put bars in, we develop trees, good vegetation. So Andrew changed the whole complexity of the business. Talk about Teller Group. So, so the business, as you said, was, uh, was taken over in a circa 650-odd million dollar deal in in 2010 talk us about your talk to us about your family office uh teller group what's the investment mandate here look believe it or not there's most probably distinct divisions social social is horse racing travel events you with me that's 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 all about that so it's all a social division and a few other things we're doing gulliver travel huge expansion coming up there We've already got it all in place to do. Um, and, you know, like 
we've been asked by a 5,500 big communal centre group people to take over all their social. And, and I said, well, what do they want? They said they want events and experiences and technology. So we have a technology division. You know, and the other one is actually, to a large degree, it's all about finance, being able to raise finance, because we're very good at that. Mark, my son, come back from, he used to run Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan's operations, their desk, their Australian desk in um, England for 10 years. He come back to Australia, <coughs> and then I brought him into the business. Mark worked in the investment world, so he looked after a lot of that. So he's negotiating some pretty big things at the moment for the Tuller Group. He's off for London for four weeks. Him and Andrew, because we're, we're doing a we're doing an English flow to one of the big mining assets we got. Um, and uh, in North America, it's about coming about coming into production. So we're talking to engineering companies. When I was in Europe, I went and seen them. It's a four hundred million dollar plant built for the copper mine. So they can all go over and finish. You know what I try to put together up front, Andrew, and I did a lot of pre when I was there. So, you know, that's virtually, you can split it up into those three divisions. So, my job is, I'm getting on a bit, I'm sitting back working, not in the businesses, to try and get them all cleaned up. We've got a few little ones there we don't need, we've got some troublesome ones. Everything's not successful, by the way. <laughs> How do you evaluate whether you're going to deploy capital into a venture or, or a Yeah, business? it's very simple. It's got to be compatible. It's got to do something that adds to the businesses. I learned long ago just not to do deals for the sake of doing deals. Um, so, and we do all the strategy. Strategy up front. We write a strategy document. Like we just finished a big strategy document for the travel industry, we know where we want to take it, I've got it all in place. You know, it, that's basically it, it's a simple model. You know, everything's about aggregation, everything's about growing a business, so you've got to know, you know, how to get there. You're heavily invested in traditional resources. The reason for that is, I can tell you now, is because I take the risk out of it. Mm. So then when we really go for the big kill to build them, and that, it's an easy job. But how much more lifespan do you see for traditional reasons? There's so much outside noise about new technologies, green technologies, and all the rest of it. Are you still bullish on traditional mining stocks and mining resources? Well, it's anything that's grown with all this lithium. And, you know, we're in copper. I pick copper and gold are going. Gold's now up over 3,000 bucks an ounce. And copper, I don't know. I sent an article out there this morning I follow the copper industry every day, so there's a huge article coming out this morning, there's not enough copper in the world. Like, the people, I'm, the people who are my advisors is Ken Pickering, he ran Escondida for BHP, biggest copper mine in the world. Mike Englund, he ran, he ran BHP Copper. He was just at the World Cup with me, he's on the board of Abagasca, a big copper company, right? He's chairman of a big gold company. We have those advisors with us, um, um, Andrew um, Greville, he ran all the trading desks for copper for um, Glencore and BHP. He's one of our advisors, so, so it's, as I mentioned to you about people, it's all about it's all about people. So they're the contacts that you know virtually I've developed over the years. So that gives you credibility. 
You mentioned people there. I, I want to ask you, that's obviously one of the core pillars of, of Tala Group. There's people number one, clients number two, relationships number three, knowledge number four, and then delivery number five. Walk us through each of those, if you could, and, and why they're so important to the foundations of the office here. Well, I can explain it to you. Very simple. You've got to get the right people on the bus. You've got to get the wrong people off the bus. And the driver needs to know where he's driving the bus. Very simple. Strategy is the driver. <laughs> the people are you. Usually, you, you, simply, you simply pick it up. You know how I pick a lot, I always get their birth date and I read their stars. That tells me all about them. I'm serious, try it. <laughs> what about you, you're in my, I'm Sagittarius reader, but tip protects me to the T. <laughs> what about key lessons that you've learnt in, in business, be it through your family office here or through the mining accommodation group or all your time at ANZ and Elders? Well, one thing you've got to be is, I think, um, the man of your word, so that people can trust you. Like, I think people will tell you that I'm a man of my word, I, because it's very simple. You, you don't try and do something you can't commit to. You can't perform. So that's a very valuable tool you've got to possess, you know. And the rest of it is all about you know, bad communicators, ruined businesses. One department won't talk to other departments. You know, there was a bit of that in elders, but I always had no trouble with any of the departments, to tell you the truth, because it was a conglomerate. Food company, beer company, mining company. You know, but you've got to find a way to pull them all together. You've got to, you know, you know. And, you know, I suppose I'm, I'm good at the ideas, but they're not my ideas. I plagiarise. I can pick up a magazine, I'll get an idea out of it, particularly in travel. You'll try it on the play home. <laughs> See if you can find someone else to interview out of the book. <laughs> Serious. That's your trade. <laughs> See if you can find it, you know. But you know, it's very simple. Business is simple. Mining is manufacturing. Mining is mining is manufacturing. There's no difference except they're the raw material to go into the manufacturing. So that's what you need first. Copper, the copper wire, you know, lithium for batteries. So, you know, that is, that's, the business is no different. My father taught me that businesses are no different, they're all the same. It is business and the same principles apply. What does it take to be successful personally and professionally as you've been? Um, you've got a big heart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look. As I said, don't kid yourself, there are failures. I've had failures, you know. That normally comes back to financial management. So you've got to have your unit cost. Mining's unit cost. What it costs you to get out of the ground, what it costs for the digging, what it costs for the blasting, what it costs for the accommodation. Everything is unit cost. It's got to be. In mining, you've got other influencing factors. You've got a, a US dollar currencies you're dealing in and all that. So they come in, you've got a hedge, of course the banks might want you to hedge, so you've got to take a risk on hedging. So if you hedge to 2,500, it's now 3,000, you know. You, you know it's, there's all these different metrics. You've got to understand them all, but that's what I learned all from my career. Have you seen the, the business landscape in Australia evolve over the, over the decades? I don't know. Tell me if we've got some good politicians who can make it work. <laughs> You know, as I said, I'm not political. 
Look, I've dealt with Aboriginals all my life. Went to school with them, good. You know, they're all my brothers. They all call me brother. I have a lot to do with them now. You got to do it through the mining and heritage and all that, but I take the time. You know, I take the time to deal with Northern's a nightmare because of drugs and alcohol. To you honest truth, poor police in Western Australia, I don't know how they operate. Um, and and I try to, um, I ran school camps when I was at the MAC too. When, and bring kids in and teach them about the environment. BHP would do all that for nothing for good citizens. The towns love them, we use the facilities. I'm going back into the school camp market. I'm going to build another school camp. We try to do our bit in that regard. I have good relationships. Reflecting on your career, what have been your proudest achievements and, and what's left that you still want to achieve? Clean up all these businesses, make them, you know, sort them all out. That's what I do, you know, one's only got a finite life, you never know when it's going to happen. I do a lot of mentoring now, young kids, mainly about leadership, leadership, and I've got my own technique of doing it, but I make sure I have a lot of fun along the way by doing it. And so, um, but I start off with their circle of life. And draw their circle of life and split it up like you've done there. And the way you've actually done the interview, that's, I call that, oh, well, that's great. You've done my circle of life. I've now got to go and do it. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> I've got the circle drawn. <laughs> but do you think about it? You know? So, um, so I start off with, you know, and I make them listen to the Lion King song, The Circle of Life. <laughs> so that starts them off on a good attitude. Kevin Maloney, Chairman and Founder of Tuller Group, thanks so much for your time. <laughs> yeah.